Welcome to Spiritual World, where we talk about all things related to spirituality so you can feel empowered in your day to day life. My name's Jean. I'm a channeler, a Kashic record reader, and a past life regression therapist. I started my journey by accidentally landing into a cult, and after a massive psychic attack, I came out and survived this whole ordeal and discovered my passion in spirituality. Now, let's begin. Hello, hello, my friends. I hope you're doing well today. Today's interview talks about uh, the interview with Orion Mutt. He is a healer. Not only he healed my psychic attack, he has been there very often during the ups and downs of my life. I cannot express how much I'm grateful for this man. He has not only saved my life uh, when I was under psychic attack and it was so intense and I could not sleep at night. I would wake up in stupor. And also he was uh, helping me out because he has such a heart of gold and he has helped me when I came here in Vancouver and very lost in my life. So I want to introduce you to him. His name is Orion Mutt. He is a medical intuitive energy healer, a concussion therapy healer, and a heart clearing counselor. He has spent 15 years working to heal concussion and brain tumor, such as eye trauma, brain fog, tinnitus, ADHD, and more. He uses energy neuroplasticity to heal bodies. He serves a lot of pro athletes such as NHL players. Now, um, because of the major technical difficulties that I have had with this podcast, I'm sorry, I have to say it starts right in the middle of the interview. So I hope you don't mind about that. So let's begin. Uh, how you managed to go into the energy healing modality when you were in body building? Well, yeah, no, it wasn't bodybuilding; it was personal training. But it uh, it started off with um, coming in with injuries. As people came in with uh, sore back or broken heart or you know the normal human issues that people have, disease, loss. A lot of people were carrying grief because they lost lost loved ones, and then their body was not reacting properly to exercise, and and they just needed more a softer touch. Um, I was able to do energy healing, counseling basically what I do now, but I was able to do that with my clients. And, um, and yeah, I fixed a few broken backs and shoulders, worked with grief, worked with diseases, worked with cancers, uh, concussions. I worked with sort of naturally. I didn't really think about it. It just seemed to be a natural thing that I could do. And eventually I got very tired of sitting there watching people run around the track and I got more interested in fixing them when they were hurt. So I ended up kind of having a very strata of clientele that were We'll say more sensitive people that had sensitive problems, and I we would defer from fitness to counseling or or from fitness to energy healing as part of our the thing we did, the part of our relationship. And it wasn't long before I said, "Hey, I think I want to do this full time." And that was I had been doing energy healing for about fifteen years quietly, but for the last seven years, I have officially come out and said, hey, "I'm an energy healer. I'm doing this work." Um, but I'd been doing it for a long time with my clients years before then. I just wasn't ready to to put that out to the world yet, you know? Oh, I know. I understand. Like, I think especially when we work in spirituality, there is a moment that you have to come out of your shell. And I think that is so hard uh, to come out of it. So um, I'm going to transition for a moment just to understand how did you manage to transition outward into how did you manage to break your shell? Was it? 
hard for you? What did you think was the the catalyst? I um I was out of a marriage, um, and I was dating various uh, <laughs> lovely ladies, and I met a, a lady who was an energy healer. That's what she did in Toronto. Um, she was very well known, very respected for many years. I think she's been um, doing this since 2001 as her own business. And and I watched. I watched how she ran her business and watched how she ran her website. And I, um, she was my Reiki teacher. She taught me how to do Reiki. And so, to mm-hmm. fit, I mean, officially, I've been doing it for many years, but I got my official uh, Reiki master's with her. And I watched how she did that. And, and at that point, I was doing just concussion work, healing with concussions. And over time, I started stepped into that role as an energy healer in various disciplines. Um, what, I, what I specifically wanted to do, was, which, which was work with um, brain issues and working with emotional trauma, which is what I specialize in. And I, it, it took many years to sort of really refine to what it is I wanted to do. I didn't, I didn't want to be a past life regressionist, and I didn't want to you know, do only channeling. I wanted to do the things that felt natural to who I am. And sort of I, I, as I put that out there, I found the people that were looking for that, that particular service through my website. Oh, wow. That's, that's interesting. So in your line of service, can you tell me where do you think that most of the disease come from? Because I think especially in the current world, like a lot of people carry like cancer or carry all kinds of diseases. And sometimes it's, uh, or brain injury and things like that. And we never know where it comes from. And I, I wanted to unravel and understand a bit more. Well, about I'm going to speak specifically from Toronto, where we are, because people here are very different than in Vancouver or very different than in, I was recently in California, very different energy down there too. So I'm going to speak specifically about uh, the people from Toronto, yeah. because that's what I know. Um, that's who I work with <laughs> mostly. And we all have our, each culture has its own denials. We'll just say, okay. Um, so, so understanding that Toronto is a very old culture. Um, it is, it is a mixed bag of native English and French, but it's old English, old emotional repressed English. Um, and it's over two, like oh. 200 years old, however old Canada is. These, this was a, a, yeah. a British colony. So we have to look at the culture that carries on through the generations, um, that still re- carries that emotional repression. And that is part of, culture here. So the work I do, the, the, the issues I find in health specifically is compartmentalized emotion, emotional denials, we'll just put it. So, you know, you, you have a father that leaves you and you have um, a lot of anxiety about men or them leaving or the idea of abandonment. And people don't want to feel like they're an abandoned person. So they take that and they push that down in their body. So they push it down to their lungs. And then their lungs start getting irritated because that, that feeling in the lungs um, starts getting irritated. So they become smokers because that smoke helps them dissipate oh. that feeling in their lungs. It blocks out that feeling. So that's one example. So oh when I'm looking God. at something like lung cancer and I'm going into the lungs and I feel, mm-hmm. okay, I have, there is the emotion, the anger, the anxiety, but I go deeper inside that. And, and I, and the base of it, and I find that there's, Oh, there's grief here. And you pull out the grief. Well, then the cancer and all the other feelings can unravel. Once you find the cause, once you find the, the emotion, or I like to say the emotional denial, that's trapped in the body in a certain location. So diseases here specifically deal with emotions that people don't feel comfortable by bringing to their heart and letting go, or they don't know how to let go, or they haven't been shown as a culture how to let go. But this is cultural. Uh, if you go to someplace like Jamaica, people just express what they feel, or you go to France, people express what they feel, or you go to Italy, they, they express what they feel. They don't hold it back. <laughs> so they don't have the same diseases because yeah. they don't have the same denials emotionally. 
They might be more comfortable showing oh. affection. They're more comfortable being in their heart. They more, might be more comfortable um, expressing their feelings that we as a society here in Toronto can't or don't as much. Oh, so so you're saying in Toronto, people are really suppressing oh, a yeah. lot of their emotion. But is it because it's the 200 years ago carried on ancestral um, thinking that that's why they build up into that kind of uh, sure. suppression? Or, think of, think of oh. in ancient times in Europe, for instance, where you have, you have French culture mm. and you have Portuguese culture. And the root is the same culture. I mean, historically, there was a time where French and Portuguese were Latin Latin offshoots, but the cultures became different. They had different experiences. They did, had different wars, uh, different famines, different issues, different ideas around food and culture and family values. Their languages just changed and diverged into unique cultures, even though they're related, they're unique. Um, very much, they're little fiefdoms of of understanding, of society understandings. Um, so we in Toronto have this traditional culture of, we'll say, holding your emotions back and acting polite and having deep-seated anxiety or anger towards people who have more than you or have achieved more than you and they compare themselves and they want to fancy your coming or, you know, this is what, what people talk about in Toronto because they're, they're suppressing their emotion and they're looking around at everybody else and they're having judgments about what other people have, what they don't have. And I would say this is a very heady culture because of that. Whereas they don't go in their heart and say, you know, Good for them. Good for them having more. Good for them for having greatness and being inspired by them. No, Toronto, the, the people here repress that and they get vindictive or they get uh, angry or they, you know, they, they hold these emotions because of other people. And truly, we're meant to be ourselves. We're, we're meant, not meant to be anything like another person next to us. We're meant to be our individual self. And all those benefits come forward when you are yourself. So that's sort of roundabout going about it. But that's how emotion sits in the body. And that's the diseases. I work with that relate to emotions and everywhere in the body is going to be a different organ and a different expression of disease because it hits our body differently. I I think, I think I'm going to make a comment there that uh, during the time that I live in Toronto, I did have that kind of ex even myself, I, I would be uh, comparing and having that kind of emotion. And I didn't know it was, well, I, I had a lot of work to work on myself, but also to to see that this is the overall arching um, mentality there. It's um, it brings me quite a bit of a better <laughs> clarity, as I say. Um, but do you can you tell me how do you happen to clear out? Let's say we're using the case of the lung lung diseases okay. or different kind. How do you clear out? Well this form of first thing I need to do is get the, yeah. the heart clearing, which you mentioned in the intro. So when they go in their heart, there's the bully at when they were 15 years old, that bullied them in school. There's the boyfriend that, that broke up with them and, and slept with their best friend. I mean, there's the events in our life and people hold them in their yeah. heart as anger, resentment, um, you know, whatever. And there's a whole yeah. host of these things. It's usually, it's usually about mom, dad, and sister and brother. I'd say those are the common ones. Those are the most common people that show up yeah. there. But then, you know, ex-husbands show up, uh, ex-wives show up, um, bullies show up. Um, even their, even though like their dog Fluffy that died when they were they were six and they were devastated oh. and they 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 felt abandoned because that was their favorite dog when everyone else was not loving them. You know, whatever shows up in the heart is valid for them, and they find I take them in their heart themselves, and they find the problem. They find find the people, the issues. I get them to. I'm just the garbage man. I just get them to pull it out and dump it in the ground, pull out whatever's in their heart. 
And when the heart's clean and clear, then we go exploring through their body for their cancers, their diseases, their issues, their chronic pain, chronic back pain, chronic knee pain, you know, whatever it is. And as I get them, I get them to just like they read their own heart to read their liver, their gallbladder, their stomach, the spleen, whatever. As they read, let's say when you're talking about lungs, they read their heart, they read their lungs on the right side and they're like, Oh my God, this is my father abandoning me. Or this is, you know, my uncle, uncle abusing me, or this is my mom who, who never loved me or whatever it is. Um, that shows up that resentment that shows up in that disease. They, they find it. And same as we do with the heart, we bring it to the heart, breathe it out through the lungs. It only takes a couple minutes to do. And once they've released that emotion, wow. that disease has nothing, wow. no foundation to hold on to it. So what we do is we, I mean, specifically for cancer, we work with the thymus a lot, waking up the thymus, which is the, the, the immune system. So we work with the heart, we work with the thymus, we shine that unconditional love into that disease, and that disease starts to change. The chemistry starts to change. Because what the body does with disease is it, it sort of overwhelms it, just like in a video game where you have, you know, one side, you know, overwhelm the, the enemy and just surround it from all different corners. That's how our body's immune system works. So we basically, with love, we overwhelm it with our love. And that causes the body to physically do the same thing. And that's when the diseases start to come down. Now, I can't say this works in every case. If someone has um, stage four cancer, um, I, I help make them comfortable. I help make them mm-hmm. give them, uh, show them that they can connect to their life and see the continuity of how they live their life. But if it's stage one or stage two, it's very localized. Um, absolutely. We can do some work on that. Um, yeah. Can I ask a question? So what you're trying to say is that everything is coming from the heart. So are you saying like, for example, um, I'm going to try to put it in that kind of context that let's say um, the problem is seated, let's say guilt, let's say anger, let's say feeling like a victim, like it's localized into the heart and it manifests in different parts of the body and thus creates the pain point. No, so no, no, example, no, no. It doesn't localize in the heart. The heart is completely oh. different. It's the localization mm-hmm. of the pain is actually in our physical body. Um, when, oh. when it comes to um, emotional pain from the past, people and events, that's in the heart. That would be, yeah, so that would, okay, yes, I can see that would be resentment or whatever. It's usually the same thing in the heart is they didn't love me properly or I didn't love them or, you know, uh, or, or they, they, they abused my love, whatever, or they, or they took my childhood. That's a common one. There's these themes, um, but it's, it's related to that person. And all this negative emotion is, you know, I'll give you an example. I'm angry because they didn't love me properly. Below that, the echo of that is I wanted them to love me because I love them. They didn't mm-hmm. return my love. And that's where the anger and all that resentment comes from. And when they know the foundation of that's love, they let that go. They pull them out and put unconditional love to themselves and let those people go. But when it comes to the actual diseases in the body, it's the, the heart is the location, just like the brain has thoughts and it has focus. The heart is the center for the natural, uh, what's the term? We call it the innate chiropractor. We'll call it, we'll use that term chiropractic they call when they release the spine they call it releasing the innate but the innate body wisdom is centered in the heart and it would be like the mind of the heart if you will and its job is to connect to the body so when you are when you have um spontaneous remission of a disease someone has a disease and you know the the cancer's there let's just we're using cancer use that example so the cancer's there Mm -hmm. in the body and then suddenly they have this this you know a magnificent experience or a strange experience their body's shaking and they feel like a rapture from God and they wake up the next day and they find out the cancer is completely gone. 
Well, what's actually doing that is a combination of the heart and the soul. The soul and the heart having a, a communication saying, yeah, well, let's, we've got, gotten what we need from this disease. Time to let this thing go. And those things happen because the heart and the soul connect together. But the, the heart is the one that connects to the body and, and, and basically it's the interface to the body. So when we connect with the heart, we can connect to our body and connect to our diseases in a sort of visualized felt sense way, if you will. And that's the language of, of communication. So, so there was a moment that you said that the heart will connect with the soul. What do you mean by that? The connection of the heart to the soul? Like that's the part okay. that I want to know. More. I want you to think of that. I'm going to give you an analogy because the best way of explaining this is through analogy. Let's, let's just go with that analogy. So let's say you, for this life, you're the performer on stage. Okay. You're the actor mm. in the play. Yeah. The soul is the audience member. It's involved. Mm. It's mildly entertained. Okay. It's a, it really, the soul is truly who you are. This body is, yeah. the, is the show. It's the movie. It's the excitement. It's the play. You're the actor in the play. Mm -hmm. So it sits back and watches you. And, you know, it's busy with other things. It plays with its phone. It eats its popcorn and talks to its neighbor. It's watching, but it's not really engaged in a direct kind of way. It gives you the space as your character to play the villain, to play the good person, the healer, or the, the sick person, or the athlete, or the intellectual. Whatever you choose to play, whatever role you play, there is no issue with that. Um, so it sits back and it watches your life and it stays and does its own thing. But however, when you say, Hey soul, come on stage. I want you to help me with this thing. I want you to help me with this part that I'm having trouble with. And it gets on stage with you or in, in this case goes into your body and says, for a time, I'll help you out. I'll open this up. I will connect with you. I will you know, fix this thing out or to fix this thing. You know, um, inspiration is just as important as, as actual direct healing. Sometimes you need to reach out to that doctor or that, in my case, the energy healer to, to work on that particular issue. And then you can release that thing and then you'll find the right doctor and then they'll cure your what. So it doesn't always have to be direct. It can be indirect. But it's sort of, I call it, you know, there's this, uh, I watched this Disney show called The Mandalorian and they have this great line. They say, <laughs> this is the way. And with the soul in, it has that, this is the way, this is the way to that answer. This is the way to that understanding that you need or in some cases, the suffering is the way for you to find what you need from that suffering. Um, so you have to trust that the soul will give you everything you need in this life. But at the same token, you can do things faster if you bring the soul in a dynamic, um, personal way. Give religion of God. This is your own godliness, if you will, pulling into your body. And the more the soul pulls into the body, the more the body gets comfortable with the soul pulling in the body. And then these magical changes happen as you hold more soul in the body. And these are the healers. These are the teachers. These are the masters. And what they did is there's no gap between the soul and the body. And that's why they're wow. always in a channeled state. That's why they're always. And some of the gurus that I've, I've listened to or the, the healers I've met have this real powerful energy field that is always flowing into their body. I'm always aware of this. And that's what gives this person that, those magical abilities of knowing this. Or, or abilities of healing is pulling that soul in in a dramatic way into their bodies. So how do we do that? How or you know? Well, it's it's. So when you connect with your soul, it's not about thinking. Thinking has so little effect on our on our physical reality. You know, wishful thinking. Mm -hmm. No, it doesn't, no, that doesn't work. It has to be a visualized, felt sense started from the heart. I'll give you an example. Um, Someone has writer's block. I, I get this one. So someone is a, a fabulous writer and they've got writer's block and they can't write. They've written half their book and they're stuck. Okay. And they see me and they need, they need some movements. Okay. 
Yeah. So they've, so for some reason there's been a blockage. So they, we go into their heart, we do a heart clearing, pull out all the issues of, that's been going on. And from their heart, then we reach out to the soul. We physically reach out to the soul, which is about usually about 12 inches away from the physical body. And we, we, we negotiate with the soul. We say, okay, soul, um, I'm, I, I'm going to, I'm going to connect with you. I'm going to send you love and connection. I'm going invite, to invite you in to my heart, to my wound, to my issue, to my, 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 whatever it is that people are carrying. They invite the soul in and the soul will, as the house guest, step in for a moment, look in the door, look around, give you some advice and then step back out. And each time you draw the soul in more and more, it stays for longer. It can hold more longer. The soul is a very high frequency compared to the physical body. So it takes some, say, on both parts of the soul and the body, a time for interconnect interconnectivity so that they can maintain that relationship. So channels through channel for years will always kind of be in the channeled state because they're so used to it. And that's another version of soul connection. Wow, that's like super interesting because I think so. So does that mean like sometimes like you're walking on the street, you have this inner knowingness of things. So that's your soul trying to talk to you. Sometimes. Is this it? Sometimes. Uh, you have to give me the special. There's so many different, <laughs> there are so many different ways that happens. We don't know if synchronicity is set up by the soul or we don't have synchronicity set up by someone else's soul or we don't know if synchronicity is set up by both souls. We don't, I mean, that's that you'd have to sort of go by a case by case basis. And then there's random chance. There's still random chance on top of all those things. Random chances. That can happen. Right place at the right time. Uh, I happened to randomly reach out to someone who looked interesting on LinkedIn. She just had an interesting face. I, I don't know. I see lots of people on LinkedIn. I was, and I clicked on her to connect and I don't know why. And she's like, it's so strange. My daughter's really dealing with concussions and here you are. And here I am. And there were, so hundreds of people oh on LinkedIn, God. but her face looked familiar somehow. And I don't know what I was reading on that, but I was like, oh, I just feel like connecting with this person. And the person said, that's very interesting. We really need your help. My daughter just had a concussion. She's in the hospital and we'd like to do some sessions with you. So, you know, I don't know how that works. Was that me? Was that her? Was that her daughter? Was that some oversoul that's connecting us all together? Is that, is this woman another aspect of my own being? Is she uh, a part of my, like my soul? separated in different lives I, I i wouldn't know the answer right off the bat but i do know that right place at right time means that individuals are in that sense of flow in their life where the things are happening more effortlessly versus yeah. when you're struggling and struggling and no, nothing happens you know what i mean which is the other half of when you're not in flow with yourself right not in flow with your life very true very true um just talking about that uh since Orion was talking about this. That's how I managed to find Orion. I saw his picture and I said, this is the person uh, I have to reach out to. <laughs> so, so Orion, I think this is very interesting to learn a lot about the soul because I, I know you connect to your soul regularly and you're a very strong uh, channeler and you're also a very strong healer. My question is that some people say you have to feel your gut. But some people say feel your heart. How do you distinguish? What would be the best medium between the two? Oh, I, I, I'd say there's the mind as well. You can't, you can't forget the mind. So when I tell people when they, okay, so someone comes in really angry, okay? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to leave my husband. That's a common one. I comes in, she's like, I'm, he's a narcissist. I'm going to leave him. I look at and I'm like, okay, what does your heart say? Well, my heart's angry. What does your head say? Head say, well, this is not a really good idea right now. 
I got two little kids. I'm not working. You know, it's going to be a big fight. And then mm-hmm. what does your gut instinct say? It says, well, maybe this is, maybe there's a chance. The heart, the gut says, maybe there's a chance for working this out. Maybe trying to make this thing work. Maybe mm-hmm. finding out and covering what it is I'm holding, or maybe he'll uncover what he's holding that's causing us to have this rift. So I always tell people to check in with all three. I, I see them as like cowboys, you know, uh, the head's <laughs> leading, then, then, then there's the gut instinct and then the heart's way far behind. And, and, and I like to have, I like to say, I want the cowboys riding side by side. They're all have their place. They all have their moment. They all have their say. And with any big decision, I say, sit with it and make sure all of them are in agreement first. Oh, agree with that's the time to make a big change, not based Ooh. on a gut instinct because your gut might be wrong. It might be fearful mm-hmm. or it might be who knows, but, but having all three, I call it a check-in. You check it with your head. What does your head say? What does your heart say? What does your gut say? And, and gut is really the first two chakras, you know, with the gut or three chakras, which is all about me. The, the, the first three chakras are about, I am, I have, you know, I can do. And, and those that that's all about the self. And yes. so it's really, the gut instinct is all about what's good for the self. And mm-hmm. the, what's good for the self might not agree with the head, might not agree oh. with the heart. And so sometimes that's, yes, that it should leave. And sometimes I've had them where she says he's a narcissist. So <laughs> this is a funny story. I've, I've actually done a couple of these. <laughs> I say, well, here's what I want you to do. Before you leave your husband and call him a narcissist and find out that he's not in his next relationship and then have anxiety for the fact that you still have feelings for him and you're not together. I said, I want you to go over to him. I want you to put your hand on his heart, take his hand, put it on your heart, look him in the eyes and, and, and be in your heart and connect with his heart and then start speaking. She comes back oh. to me about a month later. She says, yeah, we both cried. We released all our oh. crap and we're madly in love. And for 20 years, I never knew who my husband was, but my putting his hand in his heart, I got him there and got to feel who he was. He's not a narcissist. He, I always put him down and he was always fighting me and he pulled inside out of fear and you know she told me this whole thing unfolded for the fact all she did was connect with his heart so that's an example of having not having a heart connection with somebody you know in their head they were great they had these businesses together they're so connected through the kids they were good way but the hearts were closed because for whatever reason she put him down and whatever reason he ran away emotionally and they had this secondary relationship that was carried on for years so I'm just saying when you connect with the heart, you can find more information. You can find out more truth and more honesty in a relationship that's heart-based, not head-based. And I'd say that's a good chunk of Canadians here in Toronto that I see are all head people. And they have all these ideas about who that person is. And really when they connect with their heart, it's a, it's an opening of things that were closed for many years. So. It's it's super interesting because I think our mind is constantly on the chatter. How do you allow your mind? So sometimes some mind, some ego will be like coming out on the constantly. So how can you differentiate your mind and the heart? Like, do you, how do you stop it? How do you? Well, the mind is, I think, and the heart is, I feel. Are you saying, I think this, I think that, I think this. Are you saying, I feel this, I feel patterns. If you're, if you're a thinker or if you're a feeler. And that, that, in your own words, you'll know that. Oh my God, that is so powerful. It's- I'm going to talk in, talk in terms of male and female okay. aspects of the being, okay? Sure. I, I don't walk around as a, even though I was a, a personal trainer and I, was a, I have a black belt martial arts, I don't walk around with this hyper-masculine ego <laughs> that I've got to express myself as a, you know, hypersexual man or you know what i mean like you know we the things we see i don't need i i, I walk with a bit of neutrality yeah 
certain moments. You know, my daughter's crying. She, she did badly on a test and I hug her. And at that particular moment, I'm, I'm holding that space and I'm being compassionate and I'm being the healer person, the lover, like the, the person who loves her and that, that energy of love and transforming that. So she feels that intense love I have for her and that, that, the acceptance that she's doing well and she's being herself and that she, like for me, I'm taking that, we'll call the feminine aspects and be providing her with that sense of moment of love. Okay. And that particular will say that's the more feminine thing. Um, because that moment is there. And I'll be on a bus somewhere and some guys acting up, some young punks acting up, and the bus driver's upset. And I have to be my powerful masculine self and make the guy sit down and shut up. Ooh. And, and these are not these are not wow. a particular I moment. That. I step into my masculine role of 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 being a strong male in protectorate mode for the situation or if things are getting out of control where that person needs to be talked to, I will be the person that stands up and be very confrontational and make the person step back down. Wow. If necessary. But those aren't, so I stay with neutrality until the situation affords my masculine self or my feminine self um, or, or my, my, my healing traits or my, my masculine traits. I let the situation dictate. I don't walk around with a certain form of this is how I interact with everyone every time. Oh, so, so- Because if I was a strong powerful, aggressive, um, in your face kind of person, that's not appropriate when my daughter needs me to be affectionate and, and give her a hug and tell her that she's worthy, right? It's amount of, of finding the appropriateness of bringing that forward within myself. And I think I channel those aspects of my being in those particular moments. So I'm not doing any one thing. I'm, I'm allowing the, my best self to step forward in these different moments. So, so that makes sense to you. So uh, meaning that you accept that you have different kind of facets and you allow the facet and the situation dictate which facets step forward. Right. Okay. And that would right. So yeah. So if you're doing channeling, you want to do the best channeling job you can. When you're going out to a party and going dancing, you want to have the most fun you can possibly have. And they're not they're not divergent mm-hmm. on the personality. It's just in the moment, stepping forward and being the best version of yourself in that particular moment, doing that thing. If I'm doing the dishes, I want to do a very good job of scrubbing the dishes because that's where I'm stepping forward in that moment. I'm being very consciously aware that I'm cleaning in that moment. I'm going into that role of, of doing the best cleaning I can do. It's about being myself fully in that moment, doing the best job I can, whatever the job is, whatever the moment is. So staying very centralized and very focused in that specific moment is how you can achieve the sense of um, and allowing yourself to be your truest form of self. And then um, you will be able to hone in more on your self-worth. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Self-worth is us being our full self. Oh. Not doing any particular one thing well. But don't you don't you ever have this sense of like self doubt and your fear and you're just like so for example like um like sometimes we work in the spiritual like field and then we are like uh you 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 don't know if you should be charging for example for example I'll give an example that for example some of the Asian culture is like well you have this gift of like channeling like uh, or you have this gift of something else you should give it for free and you should not well when you you go to the store and buy something do you assume that it's for free no you go on a bus do you assume that ride is going to be for free no it's just energy we have to we have to allow the natural energy to be what for what it's worth that's all you have to find out what your services are worth to that person and charge accordingly wow 
that's so somewhat about popularity if someone's a very popular person and they have a six-month waiting list they'll probably charge a little more than someone who's who's available tomorrow that's just supply and demand that's just business culture wow if your your value if your value is because you're healing a disease or changing someone's life or and like i was saying making a marriage uh, work what's that worth to someone how much financial is that worth to someone of, of fixing something and you charge accordingly to what that is. I'm not saying I don't receive uh, tips because I have, um, if I've done something big, but I charge what's what I feel is affordable. But at the same time, um, uh, I want to have the, the availability for as many people as I can. But I have to also charge for my service because I can't do ten hours of this work, you know. So I have to be realistic in terms of my physical energy, um, in terms of what I charge. So I mean, I can only work a few hours a day, so I have to charge accordingly to those few hours. But that's so good though, because this provides me with much more understanding and also in, in the space of spirituality, when a lot of people say like, no, well, you know, this is a gift you have, you should give it for free and things like that. And I think, um, I wanted to know, so I, I just said it was super interesting because, um, a lot of time my ego loves to speak so much so that it will just keep on talking. And sometimes I just, don't know if it's my heart talking or it's my head talking or it's my gut talking. And when you use that analogy of what you think and what you feel, it really allows me to to see it from a different perspective. So I'm I'll, I'm gonna I I come from a Buddhist background and I, I'm a bit of a rebel. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna completely go against the tenets of Buddhism, which is what sh- shutting down the ego, cutting down the. I understand what people say about the ego, but. The ego is inherently bad. The people I find that I don't have health problems, that have very good health, very good immune systems, have strong egos. Oh, really? People who have no social anxiety, who could walk in and with flow and just affect a room uh, mm-hmm. like celebrities. And they walk in, everyone's taking pictures, everyone wants their autographs, and they're owning that energy. That's not inherently bad. That's that's recognition that, that I am a divine being or they, they believe they're a divine being. That's not wrong. That's not bad. That's healthy. It's can you have your heart being as big and as healthy as your ego? Can it be in balance with your heart? And if your heart, if your empathy is as, as big as your, as your understanding that you are a divine being, then you understand that everyone else is a divine being as well. And you're, you're, there's no, there's no issue. So basically, as long as you could synchronize like synchronize it's like yeah synchronize all three compartments like the the gut the heart and the mind yeah you will be able to so it's actually good to have ego i have been told on a constant basis that the ego is bad so i always try to like kill my ego kill my ego it never seems to work and always comes back stronger so it's really interesting uh for me to to understand that um now i think uh, besides that, I think as a spiritual person, sorry, I'm like deviating a little bit. I also want to talk a little bit about self-worth. I think so many times in our life, we, uh, as spiritual people, right? Um, sometimes we do not feel, um, like, like, let's say you're not surrounded in the right crowd or you feel that you're a bit outside. Of, of your right surrounding, like when you are like, you feel a bit alone as a spiritual person, how do you manage to, to be okay in that kind of state? How do you 
uh, feel accepting of yourself? And how do you allow well, that? I think that's go? so for me, that was realizing that the things I was born with, the gifts I came in with, the ability to, you know, counsel people, to hold space for people, to ha- let them have their emotions, to let them have their experience without judgment was sort of who I've always been. Um, it's not doing anything different than who I've always been. It's just now I have skill sets to help them. I have, I've, you know, trained in countless energy therapies and countless physical therapies. And I have a real strong background in, in anatomy and physiology and corrective exercise and all those things. I, I really have a good basis of understanding the physical body. So for me, having that foundation of knowing the body and then being able to look inside someone's body, I'm like, oh, here's a problem in your kidneys or here's a problem in your ureter or here's a problem in your ovaries. Um, because I understand structure of the body, for me, reading it is very clear. So, um, it's, but everyone will have a different clarity. If someone is a talented writer and they channel their writing, they're meant to be a writer and they're meant to write books and write stories because that's how they channel. That's how they're wired, so to speak. I, they're athletes. Their job is to take on that. Let's say a male athlete. I work with a lot of NHL players and, and soccer players and football players. They, they are using this powerful masculinity to express themselves. And all the men out there are like, that's our guy. That's our man. <laughs> and he's channeling that hyper masculinity to be powerful and tough and strong that everyone gets excited about the gladiator, if you will. Um, and he's channeling that hyper masculinity. And that's what he needs to be. We're not, we're all meant to be ourselves, fully ourselves, but not just one dimensional self, not just what we accept about ourselves or what we believe about ourselves, but really allowing ourselves to flow through and gain behind who we're meant to be. And as soon as that happens, the universe opens up many doors for more avenues of expression of that particular thing. Wow. And that'll happen until we decide we want to express something different. So, so you'll have an, uh, an athlete that is a very strong athlete and then they might become a painter and they want to express different aspects of their being. And that's not wrong. That's just, they're looking at different things that they're flowing with at that particular moment. So it really is just being yourself. And allowing that natural process to happen. Wow. So, so basically, when it comes to self worth, it's more about being yourself and accepting. So, are you saying that we're going to be okay to even if people leave? I think, I think to exert your voice as a spiritual person is can be a bit hard. So, I find when you are in that type of space, um, and you're being surrounded by people like your family member or by friends that might not accept you for who you are. You just say, it's okay. I'm just going to channel the inner me. Or is that how you, you think it? I, I don't think I, there's, I think it's healthy not to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Oh. Um, as soon as you are, are doing something, it's not really flowing naturally. So lucky because you get to get your twin flame. We don't get that. Like my my they told me no twin flame for you this life. And I'm just like, you are lucky. You get because I find Well no um, no 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 no. I'm gonna disagree with I all find- that. You you have that if that's what you want. If that's where your focus is, then you'll get everything you want. You always get what you want. There is like I don't know. Right, right now I'm negotiating some soul contract right saying, now. You, you don't have to do anything. I'm just saying that there, there, I have a lot of people that say, Hey, I want to meet my, my, my soulmate. All these people I met on the way to meeting Lisa were my soulmate. They just weren't their soulmate for marriage. They were soulmate mm-hmm. for fun and excitement, 
soulmate for learning new things. Mm-hmm. I would teach them things. They would learn things. Uh, mm-hmm. And I would learn things from them. Um, we, we would have this nice flow. Each one of them had something to give. And each one of them, I will always love them, just not love them where I want to marry them. You know, It's not that kind of love. It's love where we're really good friends and we're learning things about each other and learning things about ourselves. And that's enough to have a, a reason for a relationship. It doesn't always have to be for, for like, oh my God, I'm going to marry this person for the rest of my life. It's not always going to be that way. I mean, Lisa was different. You know, I died in a car wreck in the 19, late 60s, early 70s, because I was a drunk driver. We were in, we were in Dallas. I was, I was, um, I was a mechanic, but I was like an engineer on airplanes. And she was like a, a socialite. And we were driving home late at night. It was wet on the roads. And I, I was driving fast because I had a powerful car. And we flipped the car over. We, we died by drowning in this convertible car that uh, with white wall tires and green. I know everything about it. When I go over a bridge and the weather's kind of crappy, she has to look at her phone. She gets nervous. Like we know that we, our light was cut off. So this life now is like we, we met. We're literally like carrying on that life now. We're carrying on from where we left off in the last life. You see what I mean? But we're younger now. So, bas- <laughs> so basically. But I'm not an aircraft engineer. So, you know, so it's basically different. you're. <laughs> it's even better. You're an energy healer. But, but, but the thing is, you because the progression of that lifetime wasn't finished so you needed to finish off that karmic cycle if, or no if she's now this is a funny thing i went to york university knowing fully mm-hmm. my soulmate i knew i was going to huh? in my what? 20s I'm sorry, what what went to york university i was with mm. someone else at the time but it wasn't working out uh-huh. and i when i was at york university i knew i was going to meet someone really uh-huh. important and she's going to be very pretty and, and I was going to be very smitten with her. I knew I was going to meet her. The thing, Lisa was supposed to be in the in the same program, in the same classes as me on the same day, the same year, but she got pregnant a month before school started. She got pregnant in August, just before school started, um, or it's August, July, or August, where she had to school, even though she was going to be there. And she got married to the guy, and they had two kids, and she had that whole thing. And I remember feeling that I went to York, and I was like. I didn't meet the person I was meant to meet. So I met my secondary relationship, which is <gasps> the wife I married. She was secondary. The one I was supposed to meet, I never met. And I knew that there was something that happened. There's a reason why I didn't meet her. So now, fast forward years later, she's got two kids. I got two kids. This is like 22 years later or more. We meet and we just carry on as if we had met back then. But then, when I was in my 20s, I was very immature. Very mature for her age. We would not have met. We would not have done well. We would have loved each other, but it would have been a, a, a shit show. Oh, really? Like I was not mature enough to focus on. Really? Yeah, I was kind of a ladies' guy. I liked lots of girls. You know, <laughs> she she was like she's like she's like the guy to marry for the rest of my life. That was her focus, right? So I don't know how we would have been at that time, even though we were supposed to meet. And it was probably a good thing we we waited twenty years to meet. So. So like there was there I was supposed to meet her this life. We were supposed to carry on, but at what age and what level of maturity, I don't know. Um, but I'm very glad I, I went through the hardships I did. I have a much higher respect of women that I do now than I did back then, 20 years ago. I have a different um, ego structure. I've got a different, I was trying to so hard to be normal back then instead of being my true self and normal being this fitness guy and this big ego and all that stuff that I was trying to project because I was comfortable with that. Um, I'm Through heartbreak and through, you know, the dissolving of my first marriage, I went into my heart so deeply 
that that really that authenticity of who I am was was there, and I don't need to act this way or be this way. I can just be myself. I can be silly. I can be funny. I can just be myself, and that's that's perfect. That's fine. But during that time, I was trying hard to be everything but an energy healer. But trying hard to be not, um, you know, so compassionate towards other people. Right? Twenty year old boys are twenty year old boys, and I was in fitness, so really? you can just imagine what kind of a jock I was at the time. And <laughs> and you know, it was all about lifting weights and. And low body fat, you know. I mean, it was a, it was a different time in my life, you know. I know though. My my uh, oh, I have a question. So so sorry. My question is: When you are like, let's say you have a soul path, you have this assignment. You're supposed to go where you're supposed to go, right? And and suddenly, does it happen that shift happens? So you're supposed to meet, just like you said, you and Lisa, you guys were supposed to meet, and then suddenly. You don't meet. You meet someone else instead, and then it diverges into multiple options, and you're just like, hmm, yeah. and you get very confused because also the other person could choose not to choose you before you meet. Back then, this is this is when I still had my brain injury, so um, I wasn't vocally as elegant as speaking as I am now. I know I can speak properly i can really focus and get the words out back then i would have to really focus and my sentence structure would be a little strange i spoke strangely uh, my head and my mouth were not working at the same speed mm-hmm. and then this was part of that brain injury so when i when i met the person who was then my wife i was kind of brain damaged I, I i will admit i was a little brain damaged i wasn't as smart and on, on oh yeah oh yeah i had um spinal meningitis when i was a kid i died a few times that's my story that's my childhood I'm sorry, what is yeah. that? <laughs> what? This is so interesting. Okay. It was okay. going so, so well. No, so I was 18 months old. I'm like so curious. Back in the 70s, there was um, there mm-hmm. there was meningitis that was going around in the states where I was where I grew up, and I got spinal meningitis. Well, it's, uh-huh. there have been talk that it was an infection, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really matter. I was I almost died or died. I'm not sure. They brought me back with the paddles a few times. They had to put this. Um, they had to put this like insert into my heart to keep my heart alive because it was dying all the time. Like I was not supposed to survive. Um, so that you know, just as you had your hardship story, I had mine. The problem is my brain didn't work properly. Had my brain worked, I would have been an architect or an engineer this life. Like I know that. So by me having a brain that didn't work properly, I couldn't do math properly. I couldn't do uh, physics properly. I couldn't do the mathematical things I would need to be an engineer, like I am every single lifetime. So this life, so so this one, by me having this, well, you to do by something me having my different. brain not working, it meant I had to use my my right side of my brain, my creative side of my brain, so much more, and my intuitive side of my brain so much more because my brain didn't work. So thank you to that disease, that issue, um, that I was a little brain damaged until two thousand three, and in two thousand three, um, around the time my daughter was born, or just after my daughter was born, I took Body Talk, and in Body Talk, one of the teachers. And my brain parts snapped together and I was fine after that. I literally remember my brain working the next day properly, speaking properly. Well, my vibration of where I was in terms of my self-esteem, which was very low at the time, was a big match to my ex-wife. And then what happened is my brain started waking up. I I was reading, I was studying, I was doing energy healing. I was focusing on all these interesting things that I was developing. And every time I developed something new in me, she got very scared. She didn't like my change. She didn't like my ability to speak properly. She didn't like how my self-esteem was rising up when hers wasn't. So we just became more and more divergent. So 
point where we were not even on the same vibration. So as I went to um, really? developing my self-esteem and learning, she went into anger and fear and judgment. And she's still, from, from what I see, she's still stuck in her anger and her flat earth society ideas and her, you know, heavily Christian ideas and how dare I become a, you know, Jesus-like. And, oh, yeah, she, I, I trigger her like no end because I am who I am. And that's not who she signed up for. She signed up for me being the, just the normal strange guy that she met who was, you know, having problems and having issues with things. You see, so as I got healthier, she she got in 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 that in that range, you know. So so basically, because of this, you could suddenly snap out of a relationship because you get you recover your vibration. A lot of times, when you're an energy healer, you'll if people aren't secure in their energy healing abilities and who they are, they will generally find as they're a, uh, an energy floater person, they'll find someone who's a rock and they think, well, I need this rock to be grounding and bring me back to reality. They think they need someone who's the opposite of them for balance. And really, truly it's the opposite. You need someone who's exactly like you uh, versus someone who's the opposite. And a lot of energy healers, you know, I can't say how many people that are sensitive that have married a guy that's like just a rock. You know, he doesn't believe in anything beyond the end of his nose and that, or he's heavily religious and that's enough for him. And he doesn't believe in any of this crap, you know, so they'll marry the rock because they think that that's going to be balance for them. And really that's just hurting them. And really the balance is finding someone who's just like you, who sees the world fundamentally the same way. And that person can just fly. And these, this wonderful relationship full of all this joy because they're carrying the same joy. They, they have the same perspective and we should be with someone who's just like us. Or enough like us and enough divergent from us so that we're in that flow and balance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I wanted to ask one last thing. Uh, I wanted to ask when you are living as a spiritual person and you are going into this new, uh, like you've become, let's say you've awakened or something like that. What is the best? How do you let go of your past and move forward? Well, if you're saying that the past, what happens yesterday has bearing on today, then that's just a belief system. Every single, single moment of every day, we're pulling to our new reality towards joy and love and interconnection or towards um, like the adverse feelings and negativity. It's, you know, where our thoughts are, where our focus is right now determines where our future goes. What There's this great, that said, I think it's the word aphorism. This is the ideology that says, Focus on becomes your reality. Mm. On the idea, waking up every day and saying, today I'm going to be successful. I'm going to work hard and be successful. And if success is the focus of that day, you'll be successful at being successful, whatever that is you're doing. Oh my God. If if being successful is important, then I guarantee if you spend every day focused on being successful and whatever you do, you will be successful because that's the focus. Wow. So what what you put into is what you get out. If you wait for the mirror to smile back first, it won't. You have to smile first. <laughs> You've got to put the energy into something. Now, there's always other analogy I use is horsepower versus torque. So a car engine creates horsepower, but that engine move the wheels is torque. How much? And there's a dis- discrepancy between the two. It's how much effort you're putting into doing something versus how much you actually get out of it. And you want to make sure that the energy you put into something is being reciprocal. It's being, so if you have an amazing idea for a book, 
and you just let it die with you and you don't tell anybody, that's not doing the book any service. But you have an idea for a book and you're really passionate about this book and you tell everybody about this book and then you find a writer who wants to go write that book with you and they write it and they happen to have a friend who's in the movie industry and would love to read this this idea for a screenplay and then you and her turn this into a, a screenplay and then, oh my God, it gets picked up by MGM and MGM's now making your screenplay and they want to offer you a huge amount of money for your idea. You know, that's taking that thing, that belief, that idea, and you're running with that thing. And as you're running with it with passion, eventually it's going to get some traction. It's going to people are going to believe in it too. Oh my God. And that comes from business. That comes with passion. It comes with anything that if you affect people, what it is you do, you're going to affect their lives. They're, you're now responsible for the shift in their life from that idea or that thing you do. So, and it doesn't matter if you're a healer or it doesn't matter if you're an entertainer. It's a matter of, can you affect people? Can you make them feel what they need to feel or experience what they need to experience. And if you can, you're going to be a valid person in whatever you do. Oh my God, this is so, so good. I think I so, so, so needed to hear this. This is so deep and so impactful. Um, I, I think, I think sometimes we were the product of whatever's in our surrounding and it really hit me deep when you said that. I, I'm so grateful, Orion, for the session today. Um, one last thing that I wanted to ask you is how can people ha- find your social media, your service? Because personally, uh, I've gone to Orion many times. I would love people to find you. How is the best way to find you? Well, the best way, I, I do have social media friends, but honestly, I couldn't tell you what the names are of those. <laughs> those uh, but what I can do say is, is my name, Orion Mott, O-R-I-O-N-M-O-T-T dot com is the best way um, for them to find me and all my information, my contact is there on the contact page. So that's probably how people should reach out to me. And and also once they they, they use my phone number to text message me, that's the best way to reach me um, as versus calling me because I get a lot of mystery calls on my phone. So I don't <laughs> always answer them right away. <laughs> I get a lot of I get a lot of phone calls from uh, fake UPS people to China to the CRA coming to like arrest me. I, I, my phone number, because it's on a website that's popular, it gets a lot of fake phone calls. So I'm not really good at returning phone calls, but I do return t- text messages right away and then make a, a, an appointment to get on a phone it's, call. It's a, I, I totally understand. Yes, I get a lot of those fo- fake phone calls too. I wanted to thank you for your time today, Orion. I think it was so beautiful, all the things that you said. And it can really deeply impact people when it comes to their souls and their recovery journey. So with this said, I just want to thank everyone for attending this podcast. And may you please be all be well and wishing you all a beautiful day. Thank you so much. Bye-bye for now. Thank you. Thank you so much.